Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food podcast with your hosts, Brian Cole and best-selling author, N.D. Wilson. This audio is brought to you by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. recording now so i can tell you that i was being scolded about not having issued nfts and so now i have issued nfts <laughs> okay i think you should explain that for the podcast viewership just talk, talk about it. i think so i think it's i think it's pretty uh it's a it's a world-changing thing <laughs> we want to get into it uh, somehow if we can tie it into boys boys of blur yeah, yeah lucy I, did great work on those those are truly incredible bartholomew is my favorite by a long shot if you follow Andy Wilson on Twitter, <laughs> yeah, yes, you'll have seen the crypto nuggies. Crypto nuggies. Andy Wilson's launch into the NFT marketplace. <laughs> Experiment number one. Yeah, you can get what appear to be high quality chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the original twenty piece, the original Earth Colony Alpha of these little characters. These twenty, the twenty piece of characters, the crypto nuggies. They each have a role, they each have a personality, they have their names. Yeah, so the the first 20 NFTs issued are 20 crypto nuggies. What else can I say? They're crypto nuggies. Yeah. They were once chicken McNuggets and they are no longer. They are now crypto nuggies. They're now highly, uh, well, you know, what are they priced at? A little bit of an Ethereum piece. (laughs) Yeah, a a fraction of an an Ethereum. But it is funny, yeah, so this is... I, I am experimenting with NFTs because I have been told many times already that I need to be selling NFTs from IP of my books. So I should be selling NFTs connected to cupboards and connected to Ashtown and connected to, you know, Hello Ninja. If you don't know what an NFT is, then you're a normal human. And you need to, <laughs> but they are, yeah, digital, non fungible tokens. They are yeah. digital artifacts that are one offs. Yeah. So, you might think you could just take a screenshot of the original 20 piece, but you couldn't because they're tied to their original. Yeah, they're minted to the blockchain. They are, in yeah. fact, they've been, I've paid all the gas fees. I've learned what a gas fee is uh, when you're minting something. But it's, uh, yeah, it's super weird. It is a weird thing, but then it, it makes some sense. So if you think about it, we're, we're being totally distracted here, but an NFT, like a ticket, a digital ticket on your phone is an NFT. So you have access to a particular thing a particular row a particular seat there's this non-fungible yeah. token that ticket's not exchangeable yeah it's a one-off uh, so back in the day you know a ticket stub to you know a u2 concert you know so like the first concert in the joshua tree tour or something like that a ticket stub would sell for a pretty good chunk of money even though it's been used you know it's a it's a stub yeah. for that ticket a rookie card would be you know a baseball card or Michael Jordan rookie card would sell for a lot of money. And so now think of NFTs as like that ticket stub, but like that digital ticket stub. There you go. And there's a lot of it that I, the thing I enjoy the most about it is the creation of characters and IP and story, like, you know, just random little narratives. And so I'm experimenting with crypto nuggies because created by my daughters, because I'm not going to just lunge out there with digital assets from Hello Ninja. and have no idea what I'm doing. Although, so. although uh, 
seeing how well these crypto nuggies do, we may soon see some uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, ninja clips. I expect I expect to be launching Hello Ninja NFTs. I expect to be launching other NFTs from other characters and assets, book properties, film, TV properties. I expect to be doing that, but I want to know what I'm doing first. And so I want to learn. So if you of, follow sports, you'll see all the all the uh, athletes are putting out 12-second highlights. Well, it's shorter than that, more like one or two second clips yeah. that they then sell. And you can own that limited edition of the rookie card of, yeah. you know, whatever his name is. Yep. Uh, so I think the the most expensive NFT ever just sold and it was a meme. It's like the original, the owner of a dog that had this viral meme, the dog was in a meme, just sold the original meme for, I want to say like 8 million or something like that. Which is and crazy because everybody else has access to them. You ex- think you do. You think you but do. With the, and this is one of the things that I've said a lot, actually, to different people, is that you don't, if you FaceTime with somebody, you're not actually seeing their face. If you, you're seeing the phone interpret a bunch of translated ones and zeros. So a little artificial brain in somebody's hand in Wisconsin has captured the light through a crystal off of their face and then interpreted you know, translated down into ones and zeros, the instructions to reproduce something that looks like that, then sent it through the air to your little artificial brain, which then follows the instructions to try to recreate, like paint by numbers, a picture. And so it's, they're never the same and it's never the original. And people are actually starting to figure out how to one-off digital artifacts and lock it as the original. So up until now, we, we would say, but Every time I text that meme to somebody, it's the exact same thing as the original. It's like, well, no, it's not actually. And never has been. JPEGs lose a little bit, don't they? It has the, yeah, it has the exact same impression. They're lossy. They're all, it's basically, it's all paint by numbers. It's all, you know, every different phone, every, everything is doing a little paint by numbers routine interpreting the instructions. And so when you mint the original and you say, okay, this can no longer, this is the original and it cannot be duplicated. It can be, you can share a picture of it, but it's not it. It's not the same thing. Yeah. That's not actually a surprise to me, but it is a weird thing to get your head around because we do think that the digital world creates total equivalence and it does not. Right. Because if you remember the original Charlie bit me video. Yeah. Uh, uh, Charlie. <laughs> <about to laughs> that <get> really <laughs> Yeah. Auto-tuned and all that. Orig- <laughs> the original of that just sold. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for a ton of money millions yeah and then the owner put it back up on youtube because they thought everyone should have access right. to the original charlie bit me so i don't know there's already virtue signaling in the nft world so i'm not sure yeah once you have your millions <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i have now uh yeah anyway it's it's all it's all very funny and it's all strange and people are going to figure it out and there's gonna be a ton of mistakes and screw-ups and lost lost money and, and the money. and the nice thing is that so i'm goof you know it's like Am I goofing off? Am I not goofing off? I'm not. I'm creating characters and stories. That's what I do for money. I do that for money. Well, to make this relevant to this podcast, right. I, I'm stories. Im- right. It is stories. I'm also impressed with if if you've ever tried to create names for characters, <laughs> you need to just come check out Andy Wilson's crypto <laughs> nuggy names: Geffen, Orin. Yeah, a- no, they're Angel and Sweeney. <laughs> <laughs> there's 20 of them yeah you need to so. take a look they make me very happy like it is it is really funny how i look through the original 20 piece the crew photos as i describe in the in the uh you're killing me the crew the crew <laughs> the crew photos it says that they were acquired crew photographs from the the earth colony alpha original 20 piece <laughs> and then you go down and there's uh 
little description, they were fried on June 8th. They were documented on June 10th and they were devoured by aliens on June 10th. They're gone forever. They'll never be back. And I would like to tell you all that just like human fingerprints and snowflakes, no two chicken nuggets, (laughs) no two chicken nuggets are the same. And when they're crypto nuggies, even less so. They're even, you you try to sit there and stare at a chicken McNugget and try to find its personality and its character. And, and that's really, it has one. And, and that's you did, really funny. Yeah, you yeah. put the eyes, the eyes and yeah. the features on. Is there more stories to these crypto nuggies or will there be? Uh, there, there are, but I've just decided not to reveal them yet. Okay. So I well, did yeah, have to. You got to pay for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, th- we'll see. We'll see. So theoretically, there, there'll be future 20 piece, you know, Earth Colony Beta, Earth Colony Gamma and so on. <laughs> so um, they're, they're coming from somewhere to Earth. Okay. Yeah. A bad place for chicken nuggies to arrive. <laughs> yes. A really dangerous place <laughs> to arrive when freshly fried. So anyway, oh, yeah. and I, this also came out of a lot of conversations with people who are wanting to talk to me about kids, intellectual property and new shows and, you know, just stuff, you know, like, what what do you have that could be Hello Ninja again? You know, what other things do you have that you could just whip out in cartoon world? Crypto nuggies. Well, here we are. There's another one I wanted to do called Very Important Peeps, which is just those little peep. My sister-in-law used to do a lot of peep art, which it was like (laughs) she missed her moment. She was doing peep art. That's now, a, that's a hot she would set, she'd set up pretty significant peep dioramas and <laughs> photograph them but uh that's where we are it's like okay let's do peep art well those same peeps are probably still around they don't have the same yeah life, they don't have the same lifeline lifetime as, chicken, as, a, as a chicken as, chick, <laughs> as a chicken McNug. yeah so anyway all this to say stories are everywhere and you dump your 20 piece out on the table and try to find their characters just looking at their texture and their shapes and which one of them needs two large mismatched well, eyes? And, well lighted on a black background. Yeah, which, and... which one of them is named Bartholomew? That's the real question. <laughs> <laughs> Bartholomew is my favorite, by the way. Bartholomew and Una. If you look at the Crypto Nuggy collection, those two are the best. Uh, but anyway, this, is, yeah, this all ties into stories in a weird way, but that's not what we're talking about today, even though we just did. Yeah, I don't have a good segue into Boys of Blur. <laughs> from the Boys Crypto of Nuggies. Blur is another NFT. You, it's set in Florida where you can buy chicken nuggets of your own. Yeah, that's yeah. A- well, actually, here's the weird tie-in. For a lot of people, NFTs feel fake, right? Like, what yes. is this? It's a yeah. I what, want the actual baseball card. I want the chicken nugget itself. Yeah. What What is this thing? Well, the weird part is that I've always made my living with non fungible tokens. I mean, I've always made my living with intellectual property with copyrights you know with here's a story is the story the actual black on dead trees is it actually the the letters on the paper right like no it's not actually i write it i create it digitally i have a thing that i make and i make it up in fact the physical manifestation is quite a bit later in the process yeah significantly later and it's and it's also not what i sell i don't sell that yeah, that's true. You sell the rights to the publisher. Yeah, I sell the, you know, non-fungible token. I sell the doc. I sell, and it's not even the doc. Like, it could be any number of formats, digital formats or whatever. I, I sell the thing inside the doc, the thing that is my ideas. I take ideas and I sell them. I take, right. I mean, I've literally taken nightmares and sold them. And that is always what I've done. So this is strange. It's an interesting little moment, but it's actually not that foreign to me. It is very foreign to a lot of people. Like, but why would I buy that? Right. It reminds me of when we had Doug Tennaple on and he was saying, I added an N to the front of Newt's because 
this is my story. This now is I own I it. I own it. Yeah, as yeah. opposed to something know, that I'm anyone. Just, it's an animal that anybody could own. Right. Well, interesting. Boys of Blur, can you tell us about where that one came from? Where does yeah. it come in the lineup? Probably refresh us on that one. Boys of Blur came, well, I sold it. When, man, when did I sell it? This is when we're getting into kind of the soap opera of my career. Published in 2014. Yep. But I sold it with Outlaws of Time. Right. To, okay. To Random House. Random House. Yes. Okay. But it did not publish with Random R- House. Blur uh, published with Random House, but Outlaws oh, of Time was, I see. was HarperCollins. Yeah. Okay. So there's there, so, there is a little bit of tension there. Yes. And it's, uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I mean, I, the actual contract might have been a standalone, but what ended up happening is, so I was, I had the, the idea, I had the, the, con- the whole concept. It was the original title was Muck Flats. It was called Muck Flats. And I love that title still, but Random House shot it down. Uh, I like Boys of Blur as a title as well. I mean, that was my title as well. They just signed off on it. I generated a ton of them for them. But uh, Ashtown had, book one had released, had been really successful. Everything was taking off. Fan base was building, publicity was getting canceled. There was everything from fulfillment problems to tour problems to all sorts of things happening with book two. Uh, Then I get a a message from somebody saying, hey, do you think you could do this in four books instead of five? Because Ashtown was supposed to be a five book series. And I'm like, yeah, you know, no no problem. And and I think that works because I was still, after book two, I was working on three and thinking, sure, I've got, you know, it'll grow a little bit. So I'm working on book three, Empire of Bones. And then uh, it's, you know, I submit the NFT that is the, the doc. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm going through the editing process. And as we go to the ARCs, which are those paperback galleys that get published for critics six months in advance, I am told like, you know, I think we're, I think this'll be it. This'll just be the, the end of the series. It ends in a good place. Wait, what? And I was like, hold on, like what's going on here? And my publisher had retired. So the, the woman who actually had acquired the, the series um, retired, all my publicists left also, my editor retired. It was just this big, weird turning. And there were still people that I'm friends with and I know the woman who was promoted to publisher at, at Random House is a friend and she's great, but it's, you know, it just it was just turmoil, right? Then book three dropped cold, no publicity, just like, here we are. We're done. We finished now. We also changed the cover format. We changed the design. We changed titles. We changed just stuff just changed a lot in the process from book one, book two, book three. Those three came out, none of the hardcovers matched. So if you go and find first printing edition one, the format changes. Yeah. Which you know, and it, I'm sure some of you have noticed. Yep. And even with book one dropped, they I got a concept, concept art. And I said, well, they said, well, obviously this is rough. Like this isn't finished. And apparently the artist didn't want to finish. And so that ended up being the, the cover, the cover art. <laughs> surprise. Yeah. Like surprise. <laughs> uh, so it was this weird, you know, slow motion car wreck. And, and still people loved it. And still it was building fans and it was, I was getting so much anger from people after uh, book three dropped and, you know, just so much anger from fans who are reaching out wanting to know 
when the next one's dropping because there's like no news at all. Well, the new the new boss shows up at Random House and I meet with I meet with her for my first time. She's and she's a nice lady. We just have very different taste. You know, I've always it's always been funny. You know, there's been funny conversations. There's and uh I meet with her for the first time and she says, "Well, here's the thing. You're just way too dark. You are too dark. Much too dark." And Ashtown is just bleak and rough and everything else. And we eventually will just talk about the Ashtown books on their own. And my daughter was at the office with me in New York. She was reading a book out in the hall and she happened to overhear this. I think she was 10. And if you know my daughter, you know this fits perfectly with her personality. She kicks off the floor and wheels her office chair into the open doorway of this room where I'm having my meeting, leans back and looks at this woman and says, maybe for you. And then just kicks the floor and just like wheel <laughs> and wheels away again, just disappears <laughs> while she was telling me that it was way too dark and that I was, I'm, I'm one of the most depressing, morbid writers, you know, all this stuff. She just didn't understand the resurrection stuff. It's so deeply gospel in many ways that it was just frightening. Okay, but also pause. It's not really compared to tons of other stuff out there, right? Yeah. I mean, it's well, not like the whole market has changed in the past okay. seven years, right? Yeah, it, it, it has really. I mean, this is what I've said earlier where you say, I can say of the Harry Potter series, she doesn't believe in magic. You know, okay. it's like she doesn't have the, she's not really, she's not really writing what she thinks happens. Hmm. And so with Ashton, while I have all this fantasy stuff, all the fantasy accoutrement. Um, <laughs> In your oeuvre. Then, yeah, my oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have all that. I also have this beating heart that is very much what I believe. Yeah, you do believe it. And that's scary and it's intense. And if you write, in a visceral way and you don't try to write to people's intellects you try to write to their senses and you try to impact them physically with the story and you really believe it then it's it's an experience you know it is it is a lot more filling you know i think it's a lot more protein i think it's a lot more filling than otherwise but it also is a little bit for people who don't believe it it's a little bit off-putting yeah i mean there is there is dark stuff in yeah. our bones yeah there is but if you're talking about self-sacrifice and what is you know greater love has no man than this what is the point? What is goodness versus evil? Why do we, do we fight as pragmatists? Do we fight as Darwinian? Like, and the answer is no to those things. But anyway, so all this is happening. And on top of this, from her perspective, here she sits on this, this franchise that I've written called Ashtown Burials that is rough and tumble, let's just say, and is far and away most beloved by fans of my stuff. You know, just in terms of, commitment right. like super fandom there's you know one undercovers has sold more copies dragon's tooth has actually sold a lot of copies but one undercovers has moved more units but ashtown fans are ashtown fans they're they're different than all the other fans but on top of this i've sold random house a trilogy that comes right behind this about a kid with rattlesnakes in his arms <laughs> and so she's where she's sitting and there's and i want to do this book boys of blur so I've got I've got Blur here and I've got the Ashdown series and she's looking to vacate my contract with Ashdown the rest of the books she wants to be done and she wants to just give me back Outlaws of Time because she doesn't you know she's just done. So she wants to sub Blur in for an Ashdown book. So Boys of Blur was published and now we come full circle in lieu of The Silent Bells. I think, I think I heard a great cry go up from all your fans. Yeah. 
who have been waiting for that book for. Yeah. And which is, you know, it's coming. Suck it up. Right. It's, exactly. It's well underway. More than uh, halfway. Yeah, absolutely. Chapter 14 just went out. Yep. So those of but you anyway, who are so Boys of Boys of Blur, I'm trying to think, like, was it either way, it was it got subbed into the one of the closing. Oh yeah, okay. Now I'm remembering. Book four, book five of Ashtown became The Door Before and Boys of Blur. Gotcha. So And you agreed with that because you didn't really want to publish a book with them if they didn't, or were, did you feel like you kind of had no option? A little bit of both, but I also, I mean, I I'd still, as much as I disagreed with these people, I really, you know, have nothing against them and I don't dislike them. You know, it's like right. they just, and it was an honest conversation and it's kind of like, okay, so who's to blame for why, you know, the, the series kind of tied its own shoelaces together in its release and why promotion was weird and why stuff fell down? Like, well, a lot of people don't even work there anymore. <laughs> like stuff, yeah, stuff varies quickly. And I've seen this in Hollywood too, where you sell something to an executive, and by the time the lawyers are done with the contract, the executive is taking a different job. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, and then they say, "Why do we get this project?" I don't yeah, like it's it. like what? Yeah, exactly. So here's somebody who's taking over something, and she's looking at the list, and the list is not to her taste, and she's also just looking at sales numbers for book three and book two of Ashtown. It was like these, these aren't great. Like, mm -hmm. and it's like, so in that postmortem, I could say, yeah, well, but it's the fault of this person who went over there and that person who went over there and what, whatever. Which is so a, I didn't, a lame place to be. Yeah. So I didn't as... feel like having that big fight. And I think it's also kind of proven out over time because Ashtown's just grown and grown and grown. Right. You know, it's, and so I, which I appreciate because it's like, okay, it did, it did work. It did feed people. It has resonated. So it's been very successful in the long-term grassroots way but so boys of blur and again this is all there's a lot of shrapnel flying so to the i'm not putting my hand on the bible and swearing there's some like fogginess of memory here it's like the door before i subbed in was a book i wanted to do and it was the bridge book between cupboards and ashdown so i was excited so I, I was excited about the opportunity to do that one and i had thought they wouldn't buy it from me so i had thought like okay that's exciting i get to i get to sub in the door before right and here's Boys of Blur, which is a project I've been wanting to do forever. And so I was pumped. And I was like, okay, just give me back Outlaw's Time, which she did. And honestly, she didn't need to. That was extremely generous. And so I think that that was partly just because she knew. It was like, okay, this isn't what I wanted to be doing. So she gave those rights back, which is great. And uh, so I got that trilogy back without having to buy it. You know, I didn't have to pay them back the advance they'd already given me. They mm -hmm. just... Okay. They just comped it to me. Which gotcha. Is, which is lovely. And then I got to work on, you know, I had Boys of Blur and I had uh, Door Before to write. So Boys of Blur, the original idea had come because as somebody who loves football, college football especially, I had heard kind of all the urban mythology, or I should say rural mythology over where the fastest kids in the country come from. And, you know, I'd seen clips of like Bobby Bowden, the old the old Florida State head coach saying things like, well, they're the fastest kids in the country because they grow up chasing rabbits in the sugarcane fields. And I was like, well, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, this is strange. And so I kind of dug into that a little bit. I was like, yeah, in central Florida, around the banks of Lake Okeechobee, which is a great name and a great location. Yeah. In this thick black silt that where they, you know, basically the state of Florida doesn't really exist. It's like a sandbar. <laughs> They drained, you know, a lot, of, a lot of water's been drained. And when Lake Okeechobee used to flood, a lot of people would die because that water can just go and go and go because there's 
you know, down in that panhandle, there's not a lot, not a lot of height. I think I was standing in the middle of it at like 13 feet above sea level. Okay. Dead center. So anyway, I'd heard these stories that back in the sugarcane fields, I, you know, could go find these kids are getting really fast, which is why this one little area had put at the time 30 players in the NFL in 30 years from a population of basically the same as our small town in Idaho. Wow. And you're just kind of like, whoa, okay, that's, that's interesting. How, how does this happen? And they're all speed roles. They're not offensive linemen. These are, these are guys yeah. making the league as receivers and running backs, but primarily receivers. Defensive backs, you know, just like small, yeah, fast, fast, super fast. So then I happened to be, uh, I wanted to write this story. I wanted to write something in the setting because I wanted to hop around America and these different, you know, fantastical places. And Florida was very, very appealing to me. And I'd already pulled Leon, the, the turtle from Florida and the mythology of Florida for Ashtown. Shout out to Ashtown. Yeah. Yep. And so there's, Florida's got just a cool, um, yeah oeuvre (laughs) the milieu (laughs) the milieu of floridians so the mythology goes way back you know it's one of the right oldest points of contact in the in the new world you get ponce de leon yep you get the conquistador explorers you get you get a lot of fun stuff back there story-wise so i was in florida doing a literacy event it's a whole different story but i was doing this literacy campaign thing event with the barbara bush foundation and mentioned to the Bush family at some luncheon or somewhere where we were talking about the school kids and reading and literacy that I really wanted to write this story set in Florida. And they told me, it's like, well, when you do come back, you let us know. What? And the Bush, we'll, wait, and the, we'll put like a, George? George and- Yeah, this was Jeb and Barbara and Laura at a luncheon. And uh, they said, when you come back, we'll put a call in and you can go anywhere and do anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's like, okay, that's, that's fun. So I did, I went back to research to go back to these little towns. They put a call into U.S. Sugar and U.S. Sugar uh, showed me around the fields and the harvest and the whole thing. And these amazing flamethrower trucks that they used to drive around the sugarcane fields to light them all on fire. And the whole concept of the, the boys becoming fast. And it wasn't just chasing rabbits. They're not just chasing rabbits in the fields, which is what I'd heard. Yeah. They grew up chasing rabbits in the, in the field. They grew up chasing rabbits through burning fields. Wow. So what you do is you have this block of, you know, 10 acres of sugar cane or so, and an old pickup with a flamethrower on the back drives through. And it's so claustrophobic because there's no topography and you're down in the sugar cane. You can't see anywhere. Like you you just can't see out. And you get up next to a canal and there's gators down in the canal and snakes and all sorts of stuff. And this truck shows up. And it shows up to a cane field that's going to be ready to be harvested. And it drives around the three sides of this 10-acre block or so. I don't remember the exact dimensions. But lights all three sides on fire that are are upwind. And so it lights all three sides of this 10-acre block on fire upwind. And the fire just rips through the cane, burning off all the leafy matter that enables the cane to now be harvested. Okay. Just burns it down to the bones. Just so down they don't the, do a chaff method kind of on these yeah, things. They just burn it they off. Just, they just burn it off. And so they, they light it and the wind does the rest. The wind just carries it through this. And it's a huge, huge tower of fire. Talk about an awesome job. Yeah. And, and black smoke. And 
they light it and the fire just moves downwind through this sugarcane burning off all the leaves. So it's just hot sugar sticks. And then downwind on the downwind side, if you're near one of these little towns, there's all these little boys sitting there waiting for the fire. And they have t-shirts tied across their faces and they're wearing socks instead of shoes because the silt is too deep and, and sucks at your feet too much that they lose, they lose their shoes. So they take their shoes off and pull socks up. They have t-shirts tied over their faces and every living creature in that 10 acres comes out that downwind side at these boys. So bobcats, diamondbacks, you know, big rattlesnakes, and then rabbits, these little muck rabbits come pouring out and the boys chase the rabbits. And they go, you know, flying around, jumping canals, running in and out of the smoking sugar cane. And once the fires ripped through, there's still like lots of crackling fiery zones in this 10 acres. The harvesters come rolling through and start cutting the cane. And the boys are still chasing rabbits all around. Heavy equipment and fire. For food, for fun? What do they, what for, do they want? For two bucks a rabbit skin. Two bucks a skin. I like it. And five for a cottontail. So a little muck rabbit is, is two bucks. And if you get a cottontail, it's five. And it is a point of pride if you catch a cat cottontail with your bare hands. Oof. So, and it's not just a point of personal pride, it's like generational pride. Like they know which of these kids have fathers who have caught a cottontail bare hand. Like it's, it's a, it's a, this very cool thing. So I'm here and I watch all this and I get to light fields on fire and I, you know, get to see cool stuff. And then I go to, in football, you know, you're in the South, but you're also in a unique version in Florida and football's everything. And I go to the muck bowl, which is this rivalry game between two of these tiny towns in the sugarcane fields right by Okeechobee. And it's a big deal. You know, the muck bowl is a big deal. And this old coach comes over to me, like limping in his sweatpants that are too short and he's wearing a letterman's jacket. I mean, he must've been in his eighties and not long for this world. Comes hobbling over to me and holds up his hands and he's, he's got like eight championship rings on his hands. Whoa. He's wearing this huge, like, like as if they were Super Bowl rings, but they're just state high school championship rings all over his hands. And that's when it clicked for me. Like, cause I, I was, it was such a heroic slash macho world where, I mean, just you're out in the, you're out in the literal swamps, like chasing game for small bits of money, building your own legend and your own lore around like what you're able to catch. You know, it is just, it's so, cool but also very very of the earth and old it's this old heroic code and when this coach came over and showed me his rings it clicked for me that i was going to do a beowulf story and i was like okay this is the ring giver this is that heroic code this is beowulf this is monsters in the swamps that's what i'm doing and i'm going to write a story in which these boys in an area where these boys grow up chasing the rabbits and where they become the rabbits that are chased in these fields like this is i'm going to have a nice little inversion but also, you know, there's plenty of violence here. There's plenty of poverty. There's plenty of broken families. There's a lot of like the, the base themes of sons and fatherhood and, and everything else and what makes you valuable. From that trip, watching all this happen and setting the fields on fire and watching the whole mechanism of the society, like work around, you are what you accomplished on this field in high school. Hmm. And what you accomplished on this field in high school is determined by what you accomplished in those fields as a kid. Like you're training early just to survive, just to get money. 
And then the fastest and the best become legends on the football field. And the best of those become legends on the football field nationally. You know, like, and that was kind of, that was it. That was the way out. You're going to become true heroes. Like it starts chasing rabbits and it moves up through the football field and up. So, hmm. so anyway, I wanted to do, you know, tell a story about one of these legends who succeeded and got away coming back to become the coach because his old coach is passed and bringing his stepson with him because I needed these outside eyes. You know, I needed to bring in the reader who's never been there. The reader who's like going into a fantasy world, going into a totally foreign place. And so I, the setup is uh, this guy named Prester Mack, who's named after Prester John, by the way, who's also- is, Children's Crusade? Uh, is that the Children's Crusade No, guy? Prester, Prester John is a little more depressing story. But oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Prester is an abbreviation of Presbyter and is a- uh, basically a, a Christian civilization, a mythical Christian civilization in Africa that Christians in Europe refused to help as it was wiped out by Muslim invasion Oh, because they said it didn't exist. <laughs> and so then it got erased. <laughs> so then it did not. It was yeah. a self-fulfilling so yeah, self so prophecy. Yeah. And I'm playing, that's what I'm playing with in uh, Silent Bells right now, by the way. I know. So no, I've been, I've been, that's, I've been doing a little research yeah. as I try to <laughs> yeah. get these. So I'm, I'm, and I'm making uh, plenty of stuff, but it's a, uh, Anyway, so Prester Mack is this guy who is a legend, uh, and he is returning for a funeral and is being, you know, kind of offered the coaching job, you know, like he's going to be the high school coach, come back as an ex-NFL star, one of the boys who made it, one of the legends, and bringing his stepson. Who, right, and you said before that you plan your main characters, obviously, very carefully. So you were yeah. contrasting Thomas with, uh, say, Henry. Yep. And this is Charlie, right? Yep. So so Charlie Reynolds is a, in a very different situation. So if we're talking about cupboards, Henry York is this boarding school overprotected kid arriving in Kansas. If we go Tom Hammond, we have a we have a dead father, missing father, and he's, you know, he's Telemachus. He's struggling to protect his mom but can't, you know, has to become his his father's legacy. In this one, it's kind of a, a kick against blood fatherhood. You know, it's like he's got an adoptive father. Charlie Reynolds is this white kid with a, a black stepfather who is a legendary NFL player and is being taken back to not only where his stepfather is from, but also where his birth father was from. Yeah, his birth, okay. his birth father and his stepfather were rivals in high school and up and really hated each other and uh, ended up on two sides of the continental divide, one having achieved you know, Every, Im immortality. Everything, yeah, everything that I... And the other having achieved a dead-end life and alcoholism. You know, like just having really just lost everything. And, and the reason for that was because when I decided to use Beowulf, one of the big themes of Beowulf is envy. And so Grendel envies the joy and the laughter in the meat hall, and he, he needs to destroy it. And so Charlie comes back into a place where his birth father is also from and where his birth father is, is consumed with envy. Yeah. And with, um, with that too, you also have the inner fighting and the kin yep, slaying being yep. a huge theme of feuds. Beowulf. Yeah. So you have being the worst and, possible thing yep, yeah. is hating your own people. Yep. And yeah. so Charlie comes back and he's has roots in this place, but he doesn't know any of them. You know, he's, he's just coming cold. He's arriving cold. Uh, and having to meet his step second cousin, uh, who just tells him cousins are cousins, and you know they're off they're off to the races. And so he's got a guide, 
You know, he's got a guide in this place, reacquainted him with his own heritage. And then which father is like which which of which father is he? Of which legacy is he? Yeah. Are you the line of Cain or yeah, are you the exactly. line of Beowulf? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's the that's the setup. And the setup is this amazing location that I did not invent, but I visited and it's phenomenal. You know, it's really it's heartbreaking, it's interesting, it's riveting, it's got tons of joy and laughter, and then just tons of muck. So what do you think the solution is for Charlie? What does Charlie need? He, he... Well, Charlie, Charlie is basically, Charlie also has, the only legacy he has is memories of a pretty horrible and abusive relationship with his birth father. So he has you know, memories for his mom, for himself, so he's he's basically he's a little damaged. He's got a great stepdad, but he's uh you know he he basically has to like heal and grow. And it's one of those things where he has to stop wanting something else. Like he has to do. And so the the choice of envy and the choice of what people do is like how are you going to just want? Plenty of people just want. And in wanting they want stuff to be different. They want stuff to have not happened. They want things to be other than what they are and so having a kid who's faced with that and that's really common at that age so if you're if you're entering junior high you know you wish you were taller you wish you were faster you wish you were smarter you wish you were cooler you would like wish your all, vertical was this much yeah exactly bigger. you wish yeah. you were a legend already and couldn't everybody think you were amazing uh, and you also wish people would stop looking and you wish you wouldn't get noticed and you wish you could disappear and you know there's there's a lot of that. yeah you wish you had friends with the right people rather than the people you yeah. Are friends with it, that kind of and, thing. And, yeah, you know, you simultaneously want to be welcomed, but also ignored, and like there's there's all of this contradiction. Yeah, in early adolescence, so so Charlie's showing up, you know, wanting to disappear, but he's just going to stand out as the slow kid, and everybody knows that he's you know Bobby's son, but he's Prester's stepson, and and, and the region is divided with people who are still loyal to Bobby or still loyal to Prester. Like so, you have. People who think that Prester did wrong and poor Bobby and, you know, he's, he's just kind of thrown out here, but he's thrown out here to uh, become loyal to this place, regardless of its faults, and to help try to save this place, save these people from a curse, a growing curse that is powered by destructive envy. Yeah. How do you fight that? One thing we quote around the house is comparison is the thief of joy. I can't remember who said that. But somebody uh, smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but but how does someone handle that envy? That's the most fundamental, one of the most fundamental personal sins. Yeah, it's but it seems it's like so a, poisonous. It's it's seems like an important one for a kid's book. And I don't know. I'm trying to think of other kids' books where envy is a huge one that they talk through. Maybe maybe it's something that JK Rowling was trying to deal with with Draco and Harry and yeah. Snape and harry's dad but i don't yeah. feel like it's quite so focused it's rival it's there's rivalries yeah and i think that snape and harry's dad it boils down to harry's dad was also a bully and was kind of nasty to snape right <laughs> you know? yeah so it's resentment bitterness there but less there's there's there is envy there's an envy yeah. piece but it's not like the driver he like, also like was it is mistreated kane and abel yeah right abel wasn't bullying kane uh abel was just better yeah um you know dealing with that is i mean it's it's tough right 
So gratitude, 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 gratitude mm-hmm. for what's in front of you. And uh, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? You know, and, and having people realize that they'll be held to account for what they did with their own opportunities, you know, the, with their own stories and with what was put in front of them, they're not going to be judged according to somebody else's gifts. They're going to be judged according to theirs, according to their opportunities, yeah. which they could miss if they're just staring sideways. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it is a big, tough one. I mean, it really right. is. And it's, uh, I think that gratitude one ties back around to your project. You're trying to get people to see, yeah. you know, you might wish you were somewhere else, but look at where you are and see if yep. you're missing something. Focus in on where you actually are and what you've actually been given and what story leads, you know, starts right out your back door. What, what story do you have to walk and are you going to miss it because you're spending all your time wishing you had a different one? Yeah. Sometimes when we have a son who's struggling, we'll play the the Thanksgiving game where they're not allowed to say anything without saying what they're thankful for first. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when it's, when you've decided this isn't discipline level yet, but it is yeah, an just, attitude we, issue. Yeah, got to reprogram. Yeah. Yep. And it, it usually is funny because you're like, well, can I talk? And I'm like, no, you got to say something you're thankful for. So they're <laughs> just like grabbing a ton of stuff from around. And, Peanut butter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Outside. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, exactly. Which is, which is great. So in this situation, you have a kid who has a horrible background and he rolls into a town where he could easily, he, he feels so, totally sorry for himself, right? Because he was abused when he was little. He has, his dad right. was an alcoholic. Now he has a stepdad. And- He's one of your few characters who didn't start with, well, I guess who doesn't have that. Uh, you, you write very strong families usually. Yep. At, even if Henry doesn't know about his very strong family to start yeah, with. Yeah, there's one out there. Right. And, uh, so it, it is interesting to look at Charlie. He, he's yeah. in a different there. He's in a different situation. One of the things that happens is he could feel sorry for himself and wish life was other than it was. But when he arrives in this place, he's immediately resented and envied. Mm. Yeah. Like he is immediately envied and it's, and it's just, just, you know, he's taken aback. You know, there's a, a kid who's a star that he doesn't even know you know, who's competitive with him. And there's this envy between, between them. He doesn't know why, but it goes back to these old, you know, the old story, the old family story, the old kin slaying and betrayal and everything else. So why is this star athlete? Why does he hate Charlie? Why does he envy Charlie? What does he want to destroy him? And Charlie's got to kind of figure that out. So instead of it, it basically everybody could, once you start the cycle of envy, everybody can envy everybody else. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's the way it is. The kid with the biggest bowl of ice cream can find something to envy in somebody else. Right. And so he shows up as this, you know, damaged goods and is just seen as the spoiled rich kid who has everything. Yeah. You know. Without spoiling, can you talk moms in this story? Because uh, you've got obviously Grendel and Grendel's mother as one of, she's, yeah. she's perhaps one of the best villains, I think, in, yep. the, in the classic world. So. Um, and then of course, Charlie's mom. Yep. So Charlie's mom is tough. Uh, she's, she's basically weathered the storm. You know, it's like she's, she's done a great job, but she's also not the person who can solve it for you. You know, yeah. she's a survivor. She's not a rescuer. You know, she's, she's like somebody who got out of the disaster, but she, she's not the firefighter who's there to pull you out. Um, she can't. And so Charlie's very kind of, he's built to be protective of her and his, and his little sister. Uh, as a result of that so she's she can't 
she's great. She's a great character. She's wholesome. She's loving. She's maternal in the best ways, but she's not going to save you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, like that's uh, that's important. And then Grendel's mother, and I, I basically I create a race of uh, of monsters, uh, basically who are her children. So there's not one Grendel. There are there are the Gren uh, who are coming out of the swamps. Uh, they're feeding off parasitically feeding off of the life and the muck and the cane uh, and they are they have the they bring the influence of envy so like they stink so they're called the stanks or the gren and when you like they have a their their aroma has a intoxicating effect the intoxication is envy yeah like you just you start being consumed with hate uh, and envy and that's because that's what they are you know they envy the living they envy the people who are still leading life they want to destroy it because they can't have it and as soon as you smell this stink you start instinctively no pun intended uh you start instinctively just resenting and envying others like it just is poisonous in that way uh, and that comes from their mother who's back who's the 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 big leech you know sort of like Back, back in the woods, back near that fountain of youth where Leon the turtle, uh, Leon the turtle Bartuck. grew, grew enormous and joined Ashtown. Um, she's back in there, which is ultimately like that quest for immortality uh, and power that people are always consumed with is one of envy. It's a cycle of envy. It's ingratitude. Resent- for what you have and how much time yeah. you have. And you could you could be a hundred and nine, you know, and you don't want to die tomorrow. You want one more day. You know, it's like it's it'd be yeah. easy. Uh, you could be eighty four and have lived a really really rich life, and just and feel ripped off if you know you only have three more weeks. Yeah, but you're in a world where somebody else died at thirty one, and it'd be really easy for them to just resent the fact they didn't get thirty two. Uh, instead of thinking about being given 31 years that you didn't deserve, you know, it's like, this is, you know, it's, it's like winning Powerball, but only winning $3 million. You know, you find, you find a Powerball ticket, you know, in the street and it's a $3 million ticket. And you said, I wanted 333 million. Yeah. And you, and you're sitting here and you're like, holy cow, I just won $3 million. And you look up and there's another ticket. 15 feet ahead of you that somebody else picks up and they turn around and say, I just won $250 million. <laughs> and you're immediately like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Why did I not? <laughs> like, it's you, you immediately let go of what you've been given, your own opposable thumbs, your own legs, your own feet and hands and eyeballs and your own life. And whether it's 30 years or 50 years, it's never enough. No matter what, we could resent and envy. And that's, and that's what she represents. That's what she is. And so she's consumed with this desire to devour and control life you know like to to control life and to be immortal and you know she's this classic villain she fits right into the ashdown structure of uh the trans mortals the immortals so she is um that's where that's where she's coming from and her children are all stolen of they're all stolen they're all reanimated they're sent out as like spores of envy is out into the human world to continue to devour. So, mm. so that's where Grendel's mother fits in for me. But I got to I got to take this great location that I didn't have to make up. 
you know, I got to use it in the, the culture. All the details. Yep. Build the kid, build the kid's dynamics, his relationships, his discovery in this place, and then try to fit it into a, a, a middle grade book, a short book. This yeah. isn't, you know, I'm not trying to write a great big Oprah book club book, but the, the themes and the location deserve that. You know, they deserve that treatment. They could take a much, much bigger study, but I wanted to come in and have it be quick. And it's all about the quick and the dead. Yeah. You have some, so, don't, don't, isn't there a book trailer you shot with some of this footage they can find online? Yeah, on actually. Yeah, YouTube? we did. And that was from my trip down. We real, real quick filmed some stuff and you know threw it together but it's also so i read the I, the beginning i wrote a prologue that's heavily poetic and choppy and sprinting and it's it is all about the whole story really is about the quick and the dead is the best way to say that uh boys of blur is about the quick and the dead and then some of the dead happen to be also very quick <laughs> they happen to be quickened so it's uh rabbits rabbit chasers rabbit chasers becoming rabbits chased of uh, and ultimately, can you preserve and appreciate what you have uh, and live for others with gratitude as opposed to uh, live with ambition and envy of uh, chasing what others already have? So Boys of Blur, uh, some of my favorite writing that I've ever done is in that book, uh, especially early when I'm kind of setting the poetic tone. And I had a big fight, a uh, big, big fight with some editors over it or like, no, nobody cares about like really poetic prose when you're a kid. And I said, I know. And yet it's still going to happen to them. Like when they read it, it will have an effect on them, like a drum beat. They don't need to understand. I don't need them to understand the poetry here. I need it just to occur to them. It's going to, you know, like a score. So they eventually, I won that struggle because ultimately I do when it comes to words on the page. Uh, I might not with, cover design or even title a title is a marketing decision but um you know the the most quoted stuff from that book the stuff that gets referred to all the time they're all sentences and lines that uh editors try to delete because too poetic too poetic too rich gotcha uh, and i said i'm trying to hat tip anglo-saxon i'm trying to you know really set the tone for uh for what the book is and what it's doing. Yeah. So the very first line is when the sugar cane's burning and the rabbits are running, look for the boys who are quicker than flame. And there's like, but that's just, it's just too much, you know, versus you go to one under cupboards and it's Henry, Kansas was a hot town. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, it's yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they got back at you though, by kind of messing with your poetry on the back of the book. Yeah. Right? Yes, but I, I, I ignore that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, that never happened. The, the, every cover is temporary. And this is something I tell every author. It doesn't matter if you don't like your cover. If the book is good, there will be other covers. There will be other editions. It will continue to live on. Do you know how many lame covers to Narnia there are? Like, plenty. Plenty. And I love all of them. You know, as a fan of the book, I can say, oh, this is epic. Look at this. You know, it's like, look at this. I can't believe they, they represented, you know truffle hunter this way or whatever it might be yeah. trumpkin looks so weird yeah um and it just is you know as an author you have to let go of that and be like oh whatever so anyway boys of blur special place in my heart i also had a i probably shouldn't say this on a podcast but i'm going to <laughs> i was at an event as i occasionally am 
I have not been in a long time. But I was at a, a publishing event, a dinner, and I'm at a table with my wife, and we're chatting to people, and suddenly somebody hits me on the shoulder, and I turn around, and there's a person sitting at another table, uh, and they've had too much to drink. And they're hitting me on the shoulder, and I turn around, and I can smell the alcohol, and they lean back in their chair, and they introduce themselves, and I recognize them as a member of last year's Newberry Committee. Like, this is right after the Newberry was awarded. And this person tells me, we talked about your book, Boys of Blur, more than any other book in our deliberations for the Newberry this year. I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> because it didn't win anything. I mean, Boys of Blur, you know. I was like, that's, that's kind of odd information. I was like, okay. And he said, just loved it, you know. And this person, uh, it was, yeah, it was very funny. That and, is. Then, and then added, but ultimately it just didn't fit with the message we were trying to send Dang. this year. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and and that's that's been, and it was fine. It didn't upset me at all. It's actually just funny. And it was one of the big changes for me. I didn't have really any guidelines for how this stuff works. I thought, you know, winning stuff the only, my only experience of trying to win was all sports, athletics. Like you have a score, you try to win. Yeah. And you it, put the ball it, on the basket. Yeah. It took me a long time to realize that now there's going to be a committee and they're, they have an agenda and they have thoughts and they're looking for some, something close to unanimity. And if you're a strong, like a really strong flavor, then you're always running the risk of not being uh, acceptable to somebody, which is fine. Kind of death to a committee. Yeah. So you really have to. To any authors who might be listening or to anybody who might ever be an author, you have to really, really be grateful for those people. And sure, an award would be great, but you also have to not care. You have to do your work. And it's right back to the theme of envy. You know, like do your work, take your opportunities, tell your story, do, do it as well as you can possibly do. And if it doesn't have to thread the needles of uh, approval or accolades, or it sells a thousand copies instead of a hundred thousand copies, or it sells you know a hundred thousand copies instead of a million copies. You can end up disappointed, or you can end up grateful and attack the next thing. Uh, and it's it's really really important that you just keep your head to your own plow, right? Because there is a, there is a scoreboard. Because I honestly, it only just that only yeah. made me happy. It was like it didn't make me frustrated like oh man like i wish they ripped me off it's like no oh, that's i'm glad they talked about it that's great yeah, that's good news that's I mean, yeah and it's at the same time i need to go do my work and take my opportunities and do tell the best stories i can tell whether it's with rabbits and boys or with chicken nuggets yeah <laughs> <laughs> call back crypto nuggies everybody get on before they're gone <laughs> that's the end so yeah that's anyway don't envy people Live your own life. Live it well. Fight it with Thanksgiving. Live it richly. Yeah, which means with gratitude. Peace out. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Stories of Soul Food podcast. If you're someone highly invested in kid fiction and finding the best stories for your kids and you haven't downloaded the Canon app, I want to encourage you to download and subscribe today. You can find things on there such as Christine Cohen's The Winter King, Ethan Nicole's Brave Ollie Possum, Peter Lightheart's Wise Words, a book on Narnia from Douglas Wilson titled What I Learned in Narnia, and much, much more. 
Download the app today wherever you get your apps and subscribe.